This is Discussions on the Firewater Network, where we talk to those crafting the future of the spirits industry. And now, here's your host. This is Zachary Farley. Usually, the Firewater Network brings you stories from craft distillers who have figured out how to get their product out of the distillery and into the hands of bar owners and customers. Other times, we have brought you the expertise of consultants whose job it is to get a distiller's product out of a warehouse and into a glass. Today, I'm speaking with two people who make a product that literally makes a bottle stand out on a shelf and, figuratively, jump out at the shopper walking the aisles or a bar patron staring at a sea of Me Too bottles behind the bar. This discussion is with Peter Griffin and Brian Walsh of Reed Wax from Reading, Massachusetts. Reed Wax is in the business of getting your bottle noticed by providing just the right wax topping to match your brand's identity and bring just a little something different to the sea of sameness that so often confronts someone as they walk down their local liquor aisles. As an aside, this interview is taking place over Skype. Please forgive any audio abnormalities. With that said, I'd like to welcome my guests, Peter and Brian of Reed Wax. Peter, Brian, thank you both for joining me today. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, thank you, guys. I can't wait to talk about wax topping. I mean, it's something that I love seeing on bottles and preparing for this interview. I realize I know nothing about it. So I think this is going to be, for me, a very informative interview. And I think for my listeners as well. So Peter, what can you tell me about Reed Wax? Are you guys some part of a large global conglomerate of wax and other industrial product manufacturers? Are you a US-based company? What is Reed Wax? Well, thank you for asking, and Zachary, thank you for having us on Firewater Network. We are not a multinational conglomerate. We're a family-owned business. We have been in business since 1939, and we like to consider ourselves the small craft waxery for the small craft distiller and also winery and breweries. Oh, nice. Now, you do all of your things in-house then? Is kind of like a craft brewery or a craft distillery does everything on-site and small teams working together to build a premier product. Is that kind of how you describe what you guys do over at Reed? It is. We started our products out as an industrial compounder and blender. Uh, typically, mole releases, casting waxes, adhesives, lubricants. A lot of our wax products were used as processing aids by our customers. And so this led us into people that came into us and said, hey, I'd like to wax this cheese or I'd like to wax this wine bottle or bourbon bottle or vodka, rum, whatever. And so we work with each individual company on an individual basis. We have one facility. It's in Reading, Massachusetts. It's 20,000 square feet. About 10,000 of it is dry warehousing. And then the other 10,000 is dedicated to what I would call, you know, we're kind of like chefs in a kitchen. We have specific formulas for specific applications, and we provide our customers with service of manufacturing the products right here. Interesting. And just so I understand who we're all talking to, can you guys kind of uh, describe your roles at Reed? Well, my role is pretty much in the sales and marketing aspect of the business. I try to do setups for trade shows. I try to get us involved in magazines where people would be interested in the scope of the product that we're making for them. And I tried to match up applications with a product need for that customer. And again, that can be in a variety of industries. Brian? On my side, I do all the product development and the tweaking of formulas if necessary. Do a lot of speaking with customers to make sure that we get them exactly what they want do a lot of color matching, quality, you name it. Anything that has to do with a guy with a white lab coat, I do. (laughs) So Peter's the one who comes in through the door and says, Brian, stop everything you're doing. I have this crazy new idea. Is it even chemically possible? And Brian, you're the one who has to make that impossibility a reality. We try. (laughs) I have done that before. And (laughs) sometimes I catch Brian okay with it, and sometimes he's like, "Uh, not now. (laughs) uh, But we try to keep things on schedule. Brian does a lot more than he just said, though. Brian really looks after QC. He will go in and do melt point temperatures, viscosity readings, DSCs on products. He'll analyze a product. He'll come back to me and say, Pete, 
the application's not going to call for this. We have to be at a better peel on this wax that's going around the bottle, or it has to be glossier. Or recently he came up with a wild idea of an iridescent wax for the distilled bottles. And one of our customers calls it the disco wax. So that was really interesting. And it was kind of like, you know, he was thinking out of the box at that point. That iridescent wax sounds crazy. I can't wait to hear more about it. We're going to dive into that in a little bit later. But just so we kind of understand the full range of what a wax company can really provide, I think about dipped bottles and perhaps a seal on top of a wine bottle or a little wax seal on the side of a bottle. Very much packaging oriented. Is your guys' primary focus craft spirits or do you provide products to other members of the alcohol world? What else do you guys do for this industry? Well, not only do we provide a bottle and dip sealing wax for distilleries, wineries, and breweries, we also provide a sealing wax for the top of the bottle if they want to just put a dollop on, let's say, a wine bottle on the top. And some people actually put a embossed seal on that dollop as a little presentation. They also might have a medallion seal on the front of the bottle, and we can provide that type of wax too. We run the gamut as far as grafting waxes for the winery industry. So that might be a low-temperature grafting wax or a high-temperature grafting wax for different climates. And then we also have a barrel sealing wax, and that wax is used for some of the older barrels that have a tendency to give their angel shares off. <laughs> it might have a leak or something in the barrel. and Giving a bit too much to the angels, huh? Yeah, well, when these barrels get older and things like that, they... They do the air testing and the pressure testing to them, and they may, may have some leaks, and they may need a little help in performing a barrel wax on that to stave off that leak. You guys can cover everything from the plants that go into the ground at a winery to, I imagine, a brewery who's purchased a whole bunch of second or third hand barrels that are leaking a little bit, all the way up to making sure a bourbon bottle really jumps off of the shelf. So assuming that I'm a craft distiller, and I know I really want to make my product stand out on the shelves. And I think wax is going to be that solution. But, you know, I don't know anything about it. How, I don't even know how to even approach a wax salesman or who I even call. I mean, I, now that I've heard this podcast, I know to reach out to you guys. But I'll be honest, I know nothing about wax except that some companies use too much of it. And it makes a mess each time I try to open certain bottles of bourbon, which I will just keep nameless <laughs> for the purpose of this discussion. When a distillery considers going with a wax provider, what should some of their primary considerations be? What should a distiller know about themselves or know to ask you guys when they call you up for that first time? Well, I think one of the important parts of this is that they should understand that we work one-on-one -on -one with them so that if they're looking for a specific thing, they want a label match, they want to have a specific color that represents their company or their product. If they want to have a finish that is a certain finish, whether it be a matte finish or a glossy finish or an iridescent finish, we can provide that. So basically, there's a huge discussion up front, and that discussion is about what they need. Rather than, I mean, I do have some standard colors, and we'll get into coloring in a little bit, but I do have some standard colors that are kind of common out there in the industry, but we maybe have five standard colors. Almost, I would say, 75 to 80% of our work is in custom coloring to match labels. And also, we make sure that we have waxes that perform correctly. We want ease appeal of the wax for the customer because the last thing you want to do is bring a bottle over to a table or in front of a customer in a bar and all of a sudden you've got this chipping and you know they're peeling the peel tab off and all of a sudden it's flying into their food and things like that so very early on in this game we made sure that the wax performs with the customer and that's kind of my job in the sales and marketing area to make sure that even after they get the sampling from us and we go through an entire sampling process and that's where Brian really gets involved, we wind up talking to them one-on-one -on -one to see what their needs are, get a sample into them, sometimes even a small order first so that they can try it in their shop and make sure, you know, the first 50 bottles or 100 bottles come out correctly and then into a production run. As a matter of fact, we just did for a distillery a wax for a brewery, and it was 120 cases of 22-ounce bombers over crown caps. So that was interesting, and we're really starting to get re-involved with the brewery industry, too. That's interesting. I don't really think about wax on beer bottles at all. 
But I guess to your point, you really want a wax that isn't going to chip or flake. You know, so many times I feel like I try to open up a completely immersed wax neck and I almost have to get like a hacksaw out to kind of cut through all that wax. And then I go to pull that pull tab and it's completely ineffective. And I usually just pull it out. Now it's like, okay, I can't even open up my bottle anymore. Well, we've coined a phrase up here. Yeah. And it's called peel appeal. Peel appeal. Okay. Correct. So we want that wax not only to have a nice appeal when it's peeling off the bottle, like a nice straight line. It really comes off in one piece, sometimes two, but most of the time one piece. And then we also, when they put the cork back in the bottle, if they haven't gone through the whole bottle, we want that to have the appeal still on the shelf while it's there. So that's our peel appeal. (laughs) Well, see, that makes a lot of sense. I'm just thinking about myself. If I've completely destroyed the wax around this bottle that I've opened, I've probably not consumed the entire bottle of distilled spirit that I opened. I mean, unless it was a very fun party. That bottle's going to sit on my shelf for a while. And if it looks terrible, I'm not going to want to display it. And I can only imagine if I'm a bar owner and I want to have a wax-dipped bottle behind my bar, I can't have that thing looking awful. Exactly right. Exactly right. So it's not just about that first time that you look at the wax bottle to buy it that first time. It, it really is about the longevity of the product and how long it's going to stick around. And if I don't know anything about wax and I know it's something I want to do, I shouldn't be afraid to call you guys up and admit my naivete to you, right? I shouldn't be afraid to say, hey, guys, I don't know anything about this. I know I want it for my product. And you're more than willing to kind of walk a, a new person through all the steps and all the considerations. Yeah, we'll hold their hand through the startup of them getting up and running. And they may even present us with a new twist. They may say, hey, I like it like my ice cream cone at the Dairy Queen. I want a twist on the bottle with two separate colors. Yeah. They may throw something at us that we hadn't thought about or that we've thought about but haven't marketed. So, yeah, we're really open to that. You guys are the craft wax for the craft distillery crowd. If someone gives you guys a call, they get to talk to Brian or get to talk to Peter and throw these ideas out them instead of some customer service person or someone else much farther down the line of production. Yeah, you are not going to go into a mail chain here. <laughs> You're going to get Brian or myself or maybe Debbie in our office. If he can't get us it right then and there, we will get the message and we will return the call. So it is a small family-owned business and that's the way we respond to our customers. Very cool. Okay, so I want to wax my bottles and I've called you guys up and we've had an initial discussion. On your end, what do you look for in a good client? What makes someone such that you want to work with them? Well, I think what makes a great client is somebody who has a concept and an idea. They might even have a story behind the product already and they're looking to enhance what they have to give it value added. They want to make a nice presentation of their product because it seems to me in the packaging business, the package is what is the draw for the first-time user. The taste is what's going to make them come back to second, to third, to fourth, forever. But the packaging is really important. And when you said to us, you know, this Me Too on the shelves, the wax can kind of enhance that look. It can give a value added to the product. It makes a presentation of that product to say, hey, there's something special inside the bottle. The contents of this bottle is special inside. It's almost like putting a bow on a gift. So we want to work with somebody that has not only passion about their product, but passion about making it better, adding some value to it. And obviously, we want a customer that is happy with the wax, both in color, texture, physical characteristics, because we want them to come back time and time again for the wax, just as their customers would come back to them time and time again for their vodka or their rum or their, you know, whatever distilled spirit it is. We're kind of invested from the same point of view. And Brian, for you, I would imagine from a technical perspective, you probably want to work with a customer that does want to challenge you, right? Not a customer that says, give me 50 pounds of red wax. You probably want that person who comes up with that solution that you've never even thought of and you've never had to blend or compound before. Do you kind of, going to Peter's point about passion, somebody's passionate about what they're putting in their bottle, they want it to look nice, but not only that, they want to take it to that next level and they want their package to be wax dipped and just look like nothing else on the market that has ever even been wax dipped before. Is that something that you enjoy in working with, especially the craft community, people who have crazy ideas about what spirit should be and thus probably even what packaging should be? That puts a smile on my face. I love a challenge. I love 
trying to find a new way to do something and work with the customer to meet what their vision is and what they're looking to put on their bottle. There's no such thing as a stupid question? No, not at all. Don't be afraid to come to you with a crazy idea? I've had plenty of stupid questions in my life. (laughs) And each time you ask that question, you learn something a little bit new. Mm -hmm. And then you ask the next question. Awesome. A concern that immediately jumped into my mind as I thought through this whole process is reorders. And how do I think about that for the long term? Because when I commit to making my bottle look a certain way, I'm, it's really hard to make a change after that. If people get used to seeing a bottle with wax on it, it becomes part of the overall packaging design and customers just plan on seeing wax on that bottle time and time again. So I know it's not a one-time deal, unless we're doing a special release, but it's just not a one-time deal by and large. It's something I have to think about going forward and thus I have to think about making reorders into the future. Just how can I be sure that when I order for a second time, the wax I get from you will look the same as the first time. And do I have to order six tons of wax the first time I order it from you to ensure consistency? Or can I place that small first order and then as I grow, place subsequent orders with you guys without having to worry about color variation from order to order, generation to generation? Well, first of all, we're talking about the integrity of a brand. If somebody wants integrity in their brand, they want to produce their product on their end in the distillery the same way every time because people are coming back because they like that specific, let's say it's a smoked gin or it's a blueberry rum. They want the consistency of that. And one of the things we strive for is the consistency of the product every time. And the way we try to do that and the way we have been doing it since 1939 is we have strict controls over our formulas. We have strict controls over the way these things are put together And we make sure that we have consistency from batch to batch to batch. When we go to color up a wax, we wind up going back to the original color. And a lot of times we have distilleries that send in their label. We've actually had distilleries that have changed their label and gone with a little bit, let's say, a lighter purple than a darker purple. And we can change with them. But we always kind of keep that master color that they want as a retain. So that we're always going, and it's protected. And so it's a dry, you know, it's not in the sunlight. It's in a dry container. So that we're always going back to the color that they okayed and they approved. And that all happens in the sampling process. So they can be assured that they're getting the consistency from us. And because they're getting consistency, and by the way, this happens on a 10-pound order up to a 10,000-pound order. It's the same SOP. It's the same standard operating procedure. It's the same thing all the way through it. And then adapting to changes if they need them or want them along the way. So I don't have to worry about ordering 6,000 pounds for my first order. I could just try it out with a 10-pound order. And then when I scale up, I can be sure when I place my next order, it's going to look the same. You know, consistency in the bottle and consistency out of the bottle. That's what I would be concerned about. Correct. I mean, you're not going to have to be concerned with that with us. And again, if the customer does want to make a slight change after that first 10-pound order, a lot of times we'll go through the sampling process before they put it back into production again to make sure that the second time around on the change, we go through the same process again. And we found that to be the best thing because we don't want to be shooting in the dark. We want to make sure that we have consistency for them. Not only do our waxes have specific formulas that we follow, but once we come up with a color that the customer agrees upon, we have a formula for the color as well that we follow. But it's not set in stone. As raw materials come in and change, the base color of our waxes can change slightly, and we adjust accordingly to match the original color. And that's where, Brian, you come in with your white lab coat, right? You know that your base products can shift and change, but that's on you to make sure that that consistency leaving your door is not affected by any minor inconsistencies that come in through your factory. That's what your expertise is all about. Not only myself, but when we do custom coloring, we get about four sets of eyes looking at the product before it actually gets taken out of the kettle and and cooled off. We want to make sure that that wax color is acceptable. Yeah. So I don't just have to count on you having a good day, right, Brian? You bring in other people to verify that what you're seeing is accurate. Yeah, he's not making Monday waxes all the time, you know. <laughs> he's, he's, he's making, he's doing a good color job all week for us. And he's talking about progression here. And the progression of the color is very important. You have to have a technique 
that's just like a distiller would with fragrances and their yeast and things, whatever they're doing, whatever they have putting into their thing. They get this kind of organoleptic kind of feel for it, but they're also at the same time documenting what they're doing. Be able to repeat it. You guys are doing the same thing. Great. So you put my mind at ease. I don't have to worry about placing a lifetime order the first time I do it. So now I'm ready to move forward. You know, I imagine people come to you for ideas on how to improve their existing packaging, perhaps after their products are already on store shelves and not performing. When would you prefer for people to call you at the beginning of their packaging design stage or, you know, once they have a million bottles of unsold product? If you could say in your product's life cycle, this is the perfect time to get us involved. When would that be? That would be during the startup phase. Okay. I mean, when they're already thinking about their finished package, they don't even have to have a label yet. It's always great to work with a label, but during the startup phase, and they should already be starting to think about, okay, I'm going to have a thousand bottle run in September. I really ought to think about my label and I ought to think about my closure and I ought to think about wax to make that presentation correct. And the earlier they come to us, the smoother a transition there so through this whole process. I would think that when people think about starting up their own craft distillery or winery or brewery, that label is the first thing that they think about. You know, they can't wait to see their product's name on the side of a bottle. So packaging decisions are being made very early, you know, pre-startup, even before you start doing your TTB paperwork. It's that desire to have this thing that you've made on store shelves. And you should be thinking at that point already, too, well, how does the rest of that bottle look? Think about putting wax on there. And if someone gets their label already approved or created and they're working with a design team, then you guys can hop in at that point too, right? You can do color matching and all sorts of stuff once they've already okayed the label. Right. Once the label gets approved is really when things start speeding up for us. That's where we see a lot of times they're like, okay, we definitely want to match this color. But there are other times where we've matched the color on a label and they start working with it. They maybe even bought a small order and they said, you know what, we want to change and go to something completely different. And that really doesn't occur until after the label has been approved and they've settled in on the final colors of the label. And if I'm the guy with a million unsold bottles of vodka because my packaging just isn't performing, you guys will still take my call too, right? You're, you're happy to work with an existing package trying to do that different thing, maybe bringing success where your original packaging wasn't performing. Absolutely. It really is not a problem. And we've actually had some cases where people have come to us and said, this closure that we have or this plastic stuff that we have on our bottles, our customers are very unhappy with it. It's, it's chipping, it's doing this, it's doing that. We really don't want to continue down this road. We need something that fits us. Mm -hmm. And so we'll go to that. We've also worked with customers where they've actually, I've gone on the computer on a Pantone matching system and we've actually done on the computer a color, let's say PMS 35700 green, and they say, okay, that's it. That's the color I want. And then I'll bring that in. We have PMS chart fandexes here that we use, and we pretty much, again, will go through the sampling process. Unless it's, a, it's such a rush order, and they sign off on the color, and they say, that's it. Once the wax is colored, it's for them. They own it, unless it's a standard color. And then still, we want them to look at our standard colors. We want to sample it. We want them to put it on their bottle first, make sure they're happy with it. Those colors, getting back to the sampling process, we don't charge for this first sample going out, whether it's a custom color or a standard color. We'll send it up to you in a tin. You'll get it in a couple of days, and you'll dip, and you take it from there. Do you, you like it? Do you want to change it? Uh, it's perfect. You know, give me a 1,000 pounds. But that's free of cost for the first shot. So you're willing to send me that first thing I signed off on. Yeah, this is my color. I want to see it. I can actually hold it in my hand and look at it, apply it to a bottle maybe, and make sure it's exactly what I wanted. I don't have to worry about making a huge commitment at the very, very onset. You guys want to make sure that I, the new customer, am happy with what you're sending me. We want the first sale and every sale after that. <laughs> and that's how you do that. You get them a sample, a touchy-feely, and they can try it on the bottle and make sure they're happy with it. Very cool. So one thing that people talk about a lot is creating reasonable timelines for everything. Now, I'm sure you can work some real miracles and bring a solution to a client at a lightning pace. Assuming you don't always strive to work under the gun, so to speak, what's a realistic time frame for a customer to approach you? develop a wax solution for their packaging, and have it in their distillery ready to adorn their bottles? 
Well, Zach, a three to four week lead time is a very comfortable lead time for us to work with. Have we done it in less than that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> We've jumped through hoops and over bottles in the lab and all that stuff. We've come up with some solutions very, very quickly. And typically, it isn't out that far, but you know, it makes it life a little bit easier if we have about a three to four week lead time. Okay, that's a good rule of thumb. As I'm sitting down and thinking about what my startup is going to be, and I'm working backwards six months to even a year, three to four weeks for wax approval. It's just nice to be able to put that into your flow chart or production chart to understand how much time someone needs to give you and just to be comfortably ready to move forward. Yeah. When you think of it, it's probably a really short time compared to when they place their first order for their first still and got it, you know, six months to a year later. Right. So our lead times are pretty short. Excellent. So I imagine one hurdle that people envision about wax dipping for their bottles is how it's going to incorporate into their current bottling operations, filling, corking, labeling, boxing. Is it complicated to work wax into a bottling program? Is it going to throw off my timing too much? Don't think so. Well, actually, we give some tools to our customers to take a look at as far as this subject is concerned. We have two YouTube videos. One is on a local distillery we work with that showed us how they dip the bottles. They're up to four different colors with us now, and they showed us how they dip a single bottle. But then they also, we have a what we call a speed waxing video, and this is a video, and it's very simple equipment. You know, it's your basic double boiler or your crock pot over a wooden rack. And this video, if you look at it and time it, it will do five bottles in a 28-second full cycle run. So if we say it's like 30 seconds for every five bottles, you're doing 10 a minute, you're doing 600 bottles an hour. Now, that's for somebody who's done it over and over again. The first day, you might only do 300 bottles, but that's the type of speed you can get up to on this. And that's because the wax sets pretty well in that rack, and you've got your temperature under control. And we work with our customers on their temperature control. And we have references for tear tape that goes around the bottle. And we work with them to try to get their production as efficient as possible. There's a trial and error period with the customer. And they're going to find out that where their sweet spot is and how their setup is in their sweet spot for not only temperature, but how they spin the bottle, how they put it on the rack, then how they take it off the rack and then have it go into the uh you know, they might have an automatic bottling line that goes into a box or a case box or something like that. At any point in time, if they're running into issues, all they have to do is pick up the phone, give us a call, and, you know, say, we're getting bubbles in the top of our cap or something like that. Yeah. And we can offer them advice as to, you know, a dipping angle. It could be temperature or maybe they just mix the pot up and whipped a lot of bubbles into it. And it's a learning curve. But once they learn it, it's going to be a piece of cake after that. And did I hear you say crockpot? So we're not talking about specialty boiling equipment or anything to make the wax viscous. What temperatures are we talking about? You know, as, as we're talking about people moving around a production facility and bottles coming down, boxes coming in, you know, it's a very active live site. One of the things early on we looked at was what's the problem with the products that are out in the industry? And one of them was temperature. The temperatures were just too high. They would range from, say, 300 to 350 degrees. The temperatures were just too high. And this was causing problems, actually, with some corks that were out there, too. Because at that temperature, it would have a tendency to distort the uh, T-top. Oh, yeah. I guess I wouldn't even have thought of that. But those T-tops might just be plastic or something. And I can imagine some separation happening, whatever the adhesive was used, or all sorts of problems. Yeah, I mean, we've actually had some T-tops that have come in here that look like they've been drinking the whole bottle. <laughs> I mean, they're all they're kind of tilted, and they're, you know, they're... Some of them are, are falling off and things like that. So one of the things we did early on was we got to a low temp on this material. Then one of our other challenges, too, is people said, okay, I like the glossy look of the high temp. Can you give me a glossy look at low temp? And we have developed a low temp glossy wax. And we premiered that down in Louisville, Kentucky at the American Distillery Institute show this spring. And it has done very well. Oh, wow. And that was probably one of those times where, Peter, you went into Brian and said, I need all the benefits of high temp, but at our low temp standards. <laughs> and Brian, you kind of had to uh, go back to the drawing board, I imagine, and figure out how to solve that equation. I only say two words, Brian. Drop everything. <laughs> it was a frustrating project, but in the end, it was worth every, every moment I spent on it. It's the pinnacle of dipping wax. 
You apply it at a low temperature. You don't have to worry about distorting the T-tops. You don't have to worry about knocking the pot over and scorching everything. And you get a beautiful gloss at the end without having the water quench. You just dip it, stick your bottle up, and put it in the box when you're done. Wow. And Zach, I want to be realistic about wax. We are talking about a hot molten wax. It's the same thing as candles. Never leave it unattended. You should always do this in a double boiler so that you don't have a situation where the wax runs away from you on temperature. Most of our waxes do between 175 and 210 so that you're not going to have that problem there. But again, people should wear protective clothing, maybe gloves if they feel the need to do that. It's not a chemical hazard, but it could burn the skin at 130 degrees, as you can imagine, if you've got your shower too hot. Sure. It could burn your skin. So we want our customers to be very careful and very aware of safety first. Very good. That all just goes into training. And yes, while we are talking about low temperature wax, we're talking about low temperature for wax, not necessarily a low temperature. That's a great point. So let's talk a little bit more about the products you guys actually make and thinking about the full range of wax solutions that can be brought for packaging design. We've already mentioned you can do the Roy G. Biv primary colors, I'm sure. Anything on the Pantone matching system, high gloss. Now, what is this disco wax you guys mentioned earlier? <laughs> Do I have to take a whole bunch of uh, lewds or something from the 70s in order to get the full effect? Or uh... Well, <laughs> yeah, there's some things you could do to get the full effect, that's <laughs> for sure. But we really did start off kind of dull. We kind of started off in the matte waxes. There's a lot of old school products out there, and they didn't want the glossy stuff, and they didn't want the iridescent waxes. And that was fine with us. So I think the first wax we came out with on our finishes was the matte wax. And then from there, we went to what we call LTG, low-temp glossy waxes. So we made those mats turn into low-temp glossy waxes. Then Brian was goofing around in the lab. And not that he goofs around in the lab, but <laughs> not every day. <laughs> he was doing some work in the lab, and we kind of came up with this. And it almost looks like a mirror ball. We call it iridescent wax because that's what it looks like. It looks like an iridescent. It looks like a starburst. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's very cool for people that are thinking of a special run of, let's say, an anniversary, or they're thinking of a special run during a holiday time, like Christmas or New Year's or Thanksgiving or something like that, where this bottle is going to say something special. And maybe it's a bottle that they're selling to their customers because that customer is giving it as a gift over that holiday season. Unlike anything you can find right now on the shelf. Hmm. Again, I have one customer down in Philadelphia. He owns three different restaurants and coffee shops, and they have it in there because they have a distillery in one of the coffee shops. And that wax is called the disco wax down there. <laughs> And those are pretty much the three major categories that we have. But if somebody came to us with the idea the other day, could you make me, what were those shirts called in the 60s that had that? Can you make me a tie-dye wax? Oh, tie-dye. Okay. Yeah. We're kind of working on something in the lab right now that might give us a tie-dye wax, but we're still developing. I dropped everything and I'm working on it (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, every other customer, Brian's busy right now (laughs) making another psychedelic wax. That's okay. Right, right. And we have customers that buy all three of those because they might have the old school black bottle that they just don't want to have a bling factor to it. And then they might have a holiday bottle that they do want to have a bling factor factor to it and everything in between. You put as much attention into that 10-pound limited edition run of Disco Wax that you're going to put into the 6,000-pound standard black topping that you do on everyday bottles as well. So people shouldn't be afraid to come up with a limited run idea and give you a call about it. No, not at all. That's correct. And that's how we grow our business. Because if we've satisfied them on that, even if it stays at 10 pounds, then all of a sudden in their distillery, they decide to make another product. And it takes off. And now they need 500 pounds of the iridescent wax because that's what works for that particular product. So it's nice for them to have options. It's nice for them to come to us with these options, even if it's an option we hadn't thought about. Okay, so I've decided on, I'm going with you guys. I know Reed Wax is going to provide my wax for my distillery. And then I, the dream scenario happens, right? I get an order for 3,000 cases 
all the way across the country in Arizona and I'm in New York. How does climate affect a finished wax product? You know, I'm sitting here in a humid, warm New York summer when I dipped my bottles in all this wax and they dried in this very specific atmospheric condition. Now I need to ship all this stuff to Arizona where it's a much drier heat, higher temperature, no moisture whatsoever in the air. Do people need to worry about that kind of seasonal or climate change as their product moves through the country or around the world? Well, waxes are thermoplastic. They melt. Mm -hmm. So if you get them too hot, they'll melt. If you put your bottle in a trunk, don't expect too much from the wax. It will eventually soften and probably fail. You may even see a cork pop or just actually dislodge. I wouldn't say fall out. No, no, I wouldn't do that. Right. But it's thermoplastic and you need to think of it that way as you're transporting your goods. So don't stick it in my trunk where the temperature is going to hit 300 degrees or something. But on a delivery truck that's fairly climate regulated, I don't really have to worry about moving across the country, for example. My product's going to look just as good when it arrives in Arizona as it did when I bottled it in New York. That's right. Using standard shipping procedures. Right. As long as you don't hit the extremes, you'll be fine. Fantastic. Well, well, think of the product it's protecting, too. That's an ethanol. In higher temperatures, let's not think about wax at all right now. Let's think about just a cork bottle. That's going to happen to a cork bottle probably earlier without the wax on it because there's resistance there. You know, this wax is sealing the top of that bottle. So there's more resistance against the cork than there would be just on a naked cork bottle. So if you're going to have problems with the cork pushing out of a bottle, it's going to do it before a waxed cork bottle versus a non-waxed cork bottle. Huh. It can provide a benefit beyond just visual appeal. It can help protect my product against temperature fluctuations and that kind of stuff. There is a benefit to wax being used as a sealant. And I don't have oxygen transmission rates on this product yet. I actually am going to go into a project with that to see what type of transfer there is, either vapor or oxygen, through the wax. And we know that happens in corks, you know, and they have a lot of um, technical detail on that. Okay, so you've really answered my questions. I've kind of gotten over a lot of the hurdles that I was concerned about. Now it's time for the, <laughs> the difficult question, the dollars and cents question. Someone who's considering wax for the first time, they want to sit down and they want to fill out their spreadsheet. What is this going to cost me? How do you counsel your clients on this? What's a good rule of thumb? Well, good question. The unit cost is always a concern of the distiller or the winery or the brewery. You're probably not going to see wax on a two-buck chuck bottle. <laughs> I can verify that. I've never seen wax on a right. two-buck chuck product. <laughs> it, it usually adds value to something that goes a little more higher-end upscale. But on a very simple basis, you're looking at about 40 to 45 bottles being dipped per pound. Okay, you're probably looking at a cost of about 25 to 30 cents per bottle. Now, I had a gentleman the other day that figured his cost out and it came out 0.225, 22 and a half cents per bottle. And the one comment he made to me was, we figure out the unit cost, but that wasn't the value we got because these bottles are going for $10 more than, say, a regular run of a mill one. I mean, this was a 12-year-old scotch, single malt scotch. This was something that he said, that 25 to 30 cents a bottle, yes, it does increase my unit cost, but that is giving me the presentation that I want. And so is your wax costing me anything? He says, I really don't consider the wax cost a deal breaker. One guy in Louisville came up to me and said, I don't consider the wax a cost at all. It's zero cost to me because I wouldn't go without it. It sets my product off. It sets it off correctly. My customers love it. I sell more because of it. It's value added. And that 25 to 30 cents really, really doesn't bother me. Now, I do have to tell you too, on the iridescent wax is a little bit more per pound, but it's also a lighter wax and its density is lighter. So it actually has more coverage. There's more yield per pound. Oh. Yeah, it's cool the way it worked out. But if you're getting 40 to 45 bottles per pound of the regular wax, you may be getting 65 to 70 bottles on the iridescent. Oh, wow. So it may cost more, but it's made up for in the fact that you're getting more bottles out of it. Yes. To your earlier point, we aren't talking about the two-buck chucks of the world with this podcast and with my audience. These are craft products. You're already asking people to pay a premium for your 
bourbon or your vodka, something higher than any of the large national conglomerate brands out there. So another 25 to 30 cents per bottle. Yeah, it's a little bit more. It cuts into the margin a little bit. But like you said, it's that bow on top of the bottle, right? It's that thing that's going to set you off. And you can already charge more per bottle because it is craft. What's just a little bit more to really make yourself stand out? That's great to hear that it almost pays for itself or people just view it as a necessity. I just kind of want to call on your years of experience in this industry. You see things from a very specific perspective where you sit in the alcohol world. What's the one mistake that you see people making in their packaging that you wish you could just end forever? Well, for me on my end, on, on kind of the sales and the marketing end, it does fall on lead time. I don't think at first they understand how long things are going to take. And even though the lead times aren't long for what we're doing, we'd still like to see them, if they're thinking a week, we'd like them to double it. Okay. We'd like them to double the lead time because just getting things across the country, even if I have it in a standard color, I've still got to package it. I've still got to ship it. I've got to get it out to them. They have to melt it down. They have to do their testing on the bottles and things like that. It always takes longer than you think it's going to take. And that's the one thing if I were to tell anybody, if you're thinking two weeks, think three weeks. Just think a month. And don't Why rush this part of it? This is all about making your bottle look perfect. Correct. And embrace it as a collaborative process with you guys, right? Going back and forth, making sure you're getting exactly what you want. So if you think it's going to take three weeks, make it six. What's the rush? This is all about putting that bow on your bottle. Right. And it's a great point you made, Zach, because do we hit it 100% of the time on the first time? No. So if we have to think about doing that cycle a couple times, now you've got to add more time. It may not be exactly what they liked the first time around, so now we've got to go into it again. But again, it's got to be done right to be presented right to their customer the first time. So you got to get all that setup done in the background done on time, but realizing that there's a window there that they need to broaden a little bit. Excellent. And Brian, how about for you? Is there anything that you see getting repeated that you wish you could just fix if you had that power? What's that one thing that you see? Would it be the same thing or do you have something a little bit different? I think there's two things for me. The one that stands out most is the lead times, especially when it comes to custom colors. And if we match the color, they get it. If they say we want something different, there's another week that needs to go by before we can get another sample to them. The lead time really can make things a little bit frustrating because we know they have a deadline and they need to get those out to the distributors on a certain date. So getting the color down and right with some leeways is important. The second thing I'd say is, and this is minor, is, is the placement of the tear tape on the bottle. Oh. We have, for, for ease of use, a lot of customers like to tape the bottle, put the tape right on the bottle. I prefer that the tape transitions, the gap between the T-top and the bottle, but there's a different look, and I understand that. You know, my preference is the best way to get the wax to look going on the bottle you have less likely a uh, chance of introducing bubbles in the coating if you tape that gap. Mm -hmm. But a lot of customers prefer to tape on the bottle. And who am I to say they're wrong? That it's Ultimately, it's their product. Absolutely. Well, and it's just another thing to think about. Nothing is set in stone with this. So once again, maybe, yeah, point that out to people and just say, here's just something to consider. Maybe, probably you didn't. Let's talk about it. Exactly. Excellent. Brian's not mentioning one thing, and that's the, <laughs> the constant uh, drop everything scenarios I come up with coming into the lab. If he could stop that with me, I think he'd like that, too. We work on a lot of products here. We're not just a bottle dip company. We manufacture a lot of different products. But when a bottle dip project comes through uh, custom color, I kind of make room for it. I enjoy those type of things. Very cool. Okay, so that sounds like if you could fix one thing in your company, that would be the thing. And <laughs> Peter, maybe you would re re revoke yeah. Peter's keys three days a week or something <laughs> into the lab. That and we want a beer cart to come around every Friday afternoon when we're done. <laughs> doesn't work. Okay, now you're talking. Just Friday? Yeah, fr well, actually, not beer. If like, you like rum, right? I like rum. And I like uh, gin, so. Oh, man. Well, we're going to get into that in a second, guys. Can you share one story where you really came through for a client, a time that you were really proud of how you really showed up for them or how the end result really turned out? Uh, yeah, there was a customer and we had a bottle run that went through and we found out that it wasn't a chemical reaction, but we had a reaction in the waxes that there was some slight incompatibility 
and what happened was the color changed over a period of time. We found out the reason why that was. We assured the customer that on the second batch, extending, and we're now about into our sixth batch with this customer, that this would not occur again. So we had to go back. We had to find out why this was occurring. We had to eliminate something that was in that formula. And then we had to go and resample them again. We had to put things on the shelf for a long period of time, say three weeks to four weeks to five weeks, to make sure that they weren't changing color on the shelf. And then we were able to continue on. It wasn't an anomaly, but it was something we had to face. And we had to say, oh, no, it's not, you know, we were saying, oh, no, it's not our problem with the wax. Mm -hmm. But it was. It was a problem with that particular formula, and we corrected it. And that's when you know you're working with a company that stands behind their product. Because they will say, yes, there was something wrong. Yes, we're researching it. Yes, we can get a solution to this problem. We did get a solution to that problem. And we've had that customer since day one, even though we had to go through that that little bit of a speed bump in the road there. Yeah, that color was very unique and difficult color for us. And we had to get out of our comfort zone to meet their vision of what they wanted to see on their bottle. And we went with it, and we had an issue with it, and we figured out how to fix it. Wow. So a little bit of forensic work and a little bit of just admitting that you were wrong, but you were able to do so. And I'm sure the customer... To Peter's point, really appreciated that you did that extra work and you came back and said, yeah, it's on us. Let's fix this. That's yeah. correct. If we have a problem, that's the way we like to solve problems. I mean, it really wasn't an anomaly, but there are things that pop up from time to time that you've got to say, okay, we need to have this fixed. doesn't happen that very often. Again, wax is very inert. Once you have your formula, once you've got it down pat, fine. But the analogy I'll make is you bake a cake and you put the ingredients in the wrong order. Okay. Okay, what's going to happen to that cake? Well, if it's a souffle, it's going to fall flat if you don't do it correctly. So it's almost like being a chef. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, okay, so guys, last question. Something I like to ask everyone, and maybe this is what you guys enjoyed after you figured out what caused this problem. And after that customer said, well, I'm still going to go with you. So you guys decided to celebrate. What's your favorite cocktail and, and how do you like to make it? I prefer any type of rum with any type of tropical fruit. Oh, really? I'm a rum guy. I love rum. Can't help it. All right. Excellent. That's awesome. And then, so just with tropical fruit, so you like it on the rocks then or blended? Yeah, definitely. On the rocks or, you know, with pineapple juice is great too. Heading into summer, that's a great thing to think about. That's right. That's right. Go for the heavy spice drums during the wintertime. (laughs) And how about you, Peter? What's your favorite cocktail? Well, I always make a joke of this. My death row meal will be a fluff and utter sandwich and then my cocktail at that meal will be a tangeray gin martini very dry with dust on the olives <laughs> i make sure when every bartender that i order this drink from whether it's my favorite bar in my hometown or it's a strange bar i tell them i want the entire contents of the tumbler which it's you know you talk about angel shares I make sure that after they make my martini, with one olive, by the way, I make sure that they take the contents of that tumbler with the hot ice that's sweating in there with the rest of the gin, and they put it in a separate pint glass. And I'm going to sweat that ice out and then maybe add it at certain times during the course of sipping that martini. Because I like my martini cold all the time. And it sends a shiver up my spine when I see a bartender Chuck the ice. There's still good booze in that ice. What are you doing? It's hot ice. It's coated and it's got good booze in it. And the other thing is, martinis have a tendency to be very strong. So when you take that hot ice and you mix it in with the martini, it kind of mellows it out a little bit too. So I like that. And I like to have a martini last a long time too. So that's one way I keep it chilled. And this is just my own specific way of enjoying what I really like in a drink, and that's a dry gin martini. Awesome. Well, guys, this has been an incredibly interesting conversation for me. I hope my listeners agree. I entered this conversation knowing absolutely nothing about wax, and now I really can envision how the process works and how I could really incorporate it into an existing workflow or perhaps a new product launch. And it's been great. So thank you for your time. I hope people who listen to this, they think, wow, yeah, I really want to incorporate wax into my product. 
And I want to contact Reed and start talking to Peter and Brian right now. Guys, what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? How can my listeners reach out to you? Well, we always want to talk to our customers directly. So phone number is the best way to get in touch with us. And also you can do it by email or I always give out my personal cell phone line because sometimes things come up on the weekends and I tell all my customers, don't worry about it. Call me on the weekend if you want to. Maybe you'll get a voicemail, but at least you're there. When I go back to my voicemail, I'll do it and I'll get back to you. We do also put out in some of our literature, both Brian's phone number and my phone number. They can also do my email, which is peterreedwax at aol.com. And they can also fax us here, too, if they do faxing. Phone is 781-944-4640. Fax is 781-942-1831. So there's no wrong way to get in touch with you guys. Use any means necessary. You want to speak to people. You just don't throw rocks at us. Yeah, throw- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't throw rocks. That's, okay. that's the one. I can't just write a memo to you guys, wrap it around a rock and throw it into your window. <laughs> well, we'll obviously Not provide again. a link to your website so people know where to find you online and your other contact information just so they can get in touch with you. Well, if they want to go online, they can see our website at readwax.com. And it's kind of a dry, we haven't done a lot with that website for many years, but it's kind of a dry website, but it will give them an idea of all the products that we make here at Readwax from A to Z. And there are actually some PDFs online there of specific products that go into product data sheets and give a technical review of those products. So it's not glamorous. It's not as up-to-date as we'd like it, but they can still get a kind of feel about us and what we do. Cool. I know you mentioned you had some YouTube videos that are out there. So on the firewater.com site, we'll put those up as well. People can really see what you guys are about. So Peter, Brian, again, thank you both for your time. Thanks for sharing your expertise in the packaging industry. And just thanks for being such a great couple to talk to. Thanks, guys. Exactly. Thank Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to Firewater Network. It's been my pleasure, guys. Thanks. 